What's the human element of this technology? Is it going to replace or is it going to enhance our lives? That's an important aspect that I also want to capture in the platform. So make sure that, yeah, I don't mind social impact or if we'd have a goal of even creating the first social impact unicorn, for example, but as long as it's facilitating and making people's lives better and not replacing them with something that they can't understand. Welcome to Insert Human. I'm Chris Colbert. As the former managing director of the Harvard Innovation Lab, I realized many things. And one of the things I realized is that the pace of technology-driven change is faster, far faster, than most organizations and most people's ability to change. That gap equals risk, vulnerability, and eventually long-term viability. And it's a particularly troubling gap in the three sectors that underpin modern society, banking, education, and healthcare. It's the biggest existential threat they have, and by extension, we have. Closing the gap requires transformation, and transformation requires a much better understanding of ourselves, because at the end of the day, all transformation is human transformation. That's why I created Insert Human, a weekly conversation with brilliant people about better understanding us, and in doing so, shrinking the gap and increasing the chances of a better outcome for all. Before we dive into today's episode, an offer to all the listeners who are leading some sort of transformation effort. I've learned that the key to a successful transformation, organizations big or small, begins with adopting seven critical habits. And while most of the leaders I've met have nailed some, rarely have I seen any to an innate, really effective level. To find out how you're doing with the seven habits, you can get my guide, The Seven Habits of Highly Transformative Leaders at chriscolbert.com. So good morning, good afternoon, good evening to all the Insert Human listeners around the world. Another great show for you today. Another great, great guest introduced to me by a great friend, Toby Goodman, a couple months back. His name is Lamine Abdul-Malik. His short bio is this, and it's pretty powerful. Nobel Peace Prize winner, futurist thinker, and coffeepreneur. And we're going to dig into each one of those in a second. Lamine, thank you for joining us. And I want to just start with a declaration that you made to me when we spoke a while back. I think I read it as your mission, which is to impact 1 billion people's lives positively over the next 10 years and doing everything you can to, to make that happen. So How did you arrive at that as your mission, as your personal ethos, your intention, whatever? Like, give us the backstory. Good morning, Chris. I know it's early morning for you. It's already late afternoon for me. We're here in Dubai. Thanks a lot for inviting me onto your show. So, I mean, just like like a short story. Initially, I have to confess, I had a personal goal of actually having an impact on one million people's lives in five years. And that was about three years ago. And when I was talking about the concept of 100 Ideas Cafe, which I'll get a little bit more detail later on. I presented it to someone and he said to me, let me have to be a little bit more ambitious than that. Increase it to 1 billion. So the concept of a billion is, you know, people can say, oh, I want to impact 1 billion people's lives today. But we thought, no, how about think about the next 1 billion that actually going to join us in 10 years time. So the moment I think the world population is about 7.2 billion and the estimate by the UN is that by 2032, there'll be 8.2 billion people. But also it goes back to one of the ethos that I've been championing, this concept of I want to be a billionaire, redefining the concept that 
a billion years to be someone that has a positive impact on one billion people's lives, as opposed to acquiring wealth of one billion dollars or whatever takes your fancy. You know, just a quick comment. I was reading about movements, and um, I forget what the source of research, but the point was to affect a movement, you need 10% of the population engaged. So it's just yeah. interesting to contemplate a billion as roughly 10% of the global population. I mean, I know that's sort of rounding up, right? But I think just, I don't, I don't know if you're aware of that math, but I think it's just an interesting thing to consider. That's definitely important. I mean, I think sometimes we all set ourselves these goals that we say, oh, that goal is very ambitious. But I think in terms of how we approach life, we should be looking at the concept of the journey towards that goal rather than saying, okay, if I hit 1 billion, oh, my job is done. No, your job is not done at 1 billion or whatever target it is. I think goals should be kind of like moving targets. You should be thinking about yourself, how you can improve and enhance yourself through that journey. Because you don't know when you start that journey, how you are at the beginning and how you are going to be at the end and through that journey as well. And I think that's part of life. Life is constantly always changing. I mean, you have to keep on evolving. You know, the concept of the growth mindset, like challenges will come on your path. But if you only predicted that that you're going to handle a particular problem with one or two tools, you need to say, okay, maybe I can use this tool for another way and adapt it along my journey, so to speak. I actually was at a, I was at a bar mitzvah a few weeks back and um, sat next to a young man, probably like 20, I don't know, 27 years old. And I asked him what he did. And he and his brother had uh, roast coffee. They live in, I think, Minneapolis. And I said, what's your aspiration? And he said, you know, ideally, and by the way, they roast coffee in the basement of their parents' house. Um, I said, so what's your aspiration? And they, and he said, one day we'd like to open a coffee shop. And I looked at him and I said, no, <laughs> no, your aspiration should be to make the best coffee in America. <laughs> and then we got into this whole conversation about whether that's achievable or not is not really the point. Yeah. The point is the is the motivation attached to you know a BHAG, big hairy yeah. audacious goal whatever, and whether you get there or not, it's really about the journey to there versus there. Exactly, yeah. I mean, I'm, I definitely resonate with that. I mean, even going back to the concept of a hundred ideas cafe, you talked about insert human, and in fact, when I worked for the UN for about fourteen years, what used to kind of puzzle me is that I would go to these different countries. I mainly covered Africa and. Of course, you you arrive in the country, you're working with the UN, and everybody expects you to solve all your problems. Right. And I just say to them, well, actually, you're, you're a lot more qualified than I am. I'm just here to give you a couple of tools because you know your problems better and you know your solutions better. I'm just here to help you with a couple of tools. I use the analogy of a hammer. So, okay, I've got a hammer that can help you. Maybe you, want, you need to bang some nails in, but perhaps the hammer might not be the best thing if you want to make a cup of coffee, for example. Right. So what exactly do you want to do? And I will try for my best capacity to help you. But it goes back to the concept of having a platform that's a lot more egalitarian. It goes back to the concept of cafes initially. Like, for example, the French Revolution actually started in a cafe. The London Stock Exchange actually came from a cafe. Why? Because it was a place where, except from nobility, it was a place where a lot of intellectuals and all different classes of people actually used to meet. And coming up to this concept of creating a platform where I believe any person on the street can have an idea and share that idea and perhaps mix with someone who says, oh, actually, I have the technology to solve that problem, but I never thought about that problem from that perspective. So that's the kind of platform I'm trying to think. That's the origin of it. So let's talk a little bit more about this. So, so you have this big audacious goal of, of impacting a billion people's lives over the next 10 years. 
the mechanism to achieve that goal, not not the sole mechanism, is a hundred ideas cafe. Is that right? And and tell the audience what what that's all about or wh- where that idea came from. Yeah, so hundred ideas cafe initially actually came from when I was actually working with a think tank, and our CEO asked us, "Can everybody think about an innovative way to participate in the expo, which just finished in Dubai about three months ago?" And I said, well, "I'm going to create a cafe because we're expecting about 20 million people to visit the expo." So that's a fantastic audience that will come. They can come, grab a cup of coffee, and we ask them to share an idea. They can write it on a cup, on a takeaway cup, or put it on the board. And then we get all those ideas, and then we vote for the 100 best ideas in the world for who can come into the expo. And then we can say, what can we do with these ideas to impact our world? In fact, that's the origin of the thinking. But I, I mean, my steward didn't actually... Everybody loved the idea apart from him, but I thought, I really love this idea, and I bought the URL immediately. And I thought, okay, when I leave this organization, I want to really expand on this concept of 100 Ideas Cafe. So in summary, it's a crowdsourcing platform for ideas to impact the world. But the focus areas, because we can't do everything, is health, environment, and renewables. Health, because everything, of course, is very, very important. A lot of people confront health when they become sick. But when, why don't we take health back to prevention? eating a lot healthier. What a radical idea. (laughs) (laughs) I have this whole theory that the nature of humans, one of the things we have to adjust as a species is our entire orientation is remediation versus prevention. It's really, it's remarkable. And that's seeped into all the core systems. So healthcare in the U.S. is 100% remediation. Yeah. You know, I actually talked to my primary care doctor about nine months ago and I, I, you know, I'm 63 years old and I'm like, you know, I, I, maybe I should be more preventative and we should have an annual physical and, you know, do a battery of tests every year. And she goes, yeah, I don't really subscribe to that. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> All right, so health, environment and sustainable. Renewable. Renewable. Yeah, I mean, with environment, I mean, of course, everybody's talking a lot about climate change, but I wanted to take a slightly different angle. I actually really believe that where the climate will actually adjust itself. For example, if there's excessive flooding, it's not like who really suffers from excessive flooding. It's actually humans that actually suffer from excessive flooding. So I'm thinking about any technology or innovation concept that can help with our coexistence with environment, not necessarily, oh, we need to invent it. Fixing it. Oh, not fixing it. That's interesting. Yeah. Because you could argue it's trying to fix itself, right? Exactly. And someone said the other day on this week, one of my partners said, trees have already been invented. You know, so there was this concept, I read an article about solving the climate crisis with nature-based solutions. So looking at maybe planting more trees, looking at the diversity of what we have in terms of our, our soil. Some scientists have said, if you just readjust in terms of the soil nutrient in our soil, then actually you will actually solve the adjustment in terms of the carbon emissions. So oh, there, wow. I think there are solutions that actually exist there rather than running around to say, we're going to commit $100 billion by 2030 to solve the climate. I think there's other ways that we can actually get there. So looking at those kind of solutions as well. And of course, renewables is important because we're looking at pollution. If you look at even in London, over 100,000 people die from pollution every year. And that figure, I think, is already four years old. I don't know what is it. Is that right? Is now. Yeah. Like respiratory, respiratory issues and that sort of thing? Yes, exactly. Wow. The latest figures I could get from Europe is 2014. And it was already half a million people dying in Europe from pollution. We haven't talked about developing countries already. You know, if that's the case, what are we going to do about that now? And that goes back to the whole idea of when I talk about impacting the billion people's lives in the next 10 years, it goes back to the concept of actually future proof, preparing today for tomorrow. Because it always baffles me when people say, oh, I want to lose weight, but I'm going to start on the 1st of January. No, start today. 
start the journey now. Don't start. Don't wait for anything to happen. So if you say, okay, what do you mean? That would require sacrifice. Like that's, that's, that's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, I actually, I listened to your, I listened to your talk yesterday on sustainability and you talked about the humans tend to react. Is it any good? I haven't listened to it in a while. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, I really like the concept about, you know, we tend to be a lot more complacent. We tend to react when th- things become a priority for us. Right. And I mean, that's something that really baffles me. Like I chaired a session last year on what technologies should we invest in to prevent the next pandemic? Because we already know there's going to be another pandemic in the next 10 or 15 years. We know it's going to happen, but what are we going to do about it now? And I think it baffles me how humans think, oh, that's 10 or 15 years away. I'm going to carry on with my life. But no, why don't we start doing something about now? And if you look at the virus families, CEPI, which is an organization that focuses on, on epidemiology, said they already know there's already, I think, 20 or 25 virus families in the world. And so all you have to do is minimum investment in terms of vaccines. And then when the next pandemic comes, you're like, oh, we already have a vaccine for that. So it's like for them, it's a no-brainer. It's like just invest you know, a couple of hundred million dollars in that. And then perhaps fast forwarding to that concept of a billionaire, I would love to see, for example, if someone said, oh, I want to invest $200 million in doing research and then 20 virus families. And perhaps in 2032, a billionaire is a woman that invested $200 million in 2022 for vaccines. I don't mind if she becomes a multi-billionaire, but at least she had, a, or that person had a positive impact on 1 billion people's lives. If you look at the pandemic, it had, I don't know how many billion people's lives. So let's go back to the cafe. Like, how does it work? Or what is the vision of how it works? Yeah, so when we talk about a crowdsourcing platform, so already on the website, we have, you can actually submit an idea. We actually already have 10 ideas in our, in our platform already. So you can submit your idea. We asked about 12 questions. Does it have a potential to impact 1 billion people's lives? What SDGs does it relate to? For example, we've picked about um, five SDGs, three in environment, SDG 13, 14, and 15. Health is number three. For the audience, because some people may not be aware of the SDG, UN SDGs, can you just quickly explain SDG? Of course, definitely. So the United Nations in 2015, through an extensive consultative process across the world, came up with something called the 17 Sustainable Development Goals, which the target is by 2030. So the idea is across these 17 development goals, which range from health, environment, even construction, partnerships, poverty, education, ending poverty for all, that if we are able to mobilize funding to address the different KPIs within those SDGs, then the world by 2030 should be in a better, more sustainable development. What we mean by sustainable development? Development is one aspect. We're looking at how can we sustain that development? So it's not just about reaching the goal, but making sure that we're sustainable, that we're hitting or eradicating those targets on an annual basis. So it's something that's sustainable. So it's something that came across in 2015. It was released and a lot of companies and also organizations have subscribed to this concept of the 17 sustainable development SDGs for sure. So yeah. back to the cafe. So you're connecting to the SDGs? Yeah. So you come to the platform, submit your idea, and then I already have about six advisors. So different people from across the world. In health, for example, I have a lady that's worked a lot with, with Stanford University and Silicon Valley. She, um, she's got already six companies in the US. She's on my platform as an advisor. I have two people who have already helped more than 300 startups. I've got also someone with legal background because one of the things that affects startups is they forget about the legal aspect, things to do with IP, and also look at the financial aspect. So we're also going to have on our platform advisors who can advise those people. So you submit your idea, we look at the idea, and then the ideas that we think have potential, we will test them for four main aspects, legal, 
scalability, commercial viability, and also in terms of innovation. And then we'll work with like-minded mentors to groom that team or that startup so that by in next three months, so we, our, our first cohort will be the 7th of September, 2022, we will help those entities to pitch to investors. So that's that's our plan at the moment. Okay. So it's like an, like, like an incubator in a way, right? Exactly. But having more of a global aspect, you have a lot of incubators that focus on a particular technology or in a particular city, like here in Dubai, there are a few incubators, but it tends to be focused on where Dubai needs to be in by 2040 or 2071. And I'm thinking about the whole world per se. I know it sounds a little bit ambitious, but I always think, well, that's a part of life. We've got to push ourselves. Yeah. Back to what we were talking about. Like you might as well reach for the stars. What's the point of reaching for, I don't know, anything else. Yeah. And so, but there is a time frame to it in the, in the, like there's a start and stop to a cohort. Is that right? Yeah. So our first call, we set ourselves a really ambitious target of 7th of September, but I think when there's a lot of startups actually in our platform, we don't have many brand new ideas in our platform. I'll be honest with you, but we do have three very promising startups. So they already have traction. They're already entities that already exist. They've already got revenue, but they're looking for a different kind of platform because they want to scale up and actually impact the world. They're not looking at just impacting their city or their country. So from that perspective. Hmm. Um, also, the idea is we have something else called cafes. So we're also approaching cafes across the world to ideate on the existing cohort in our, in our pipeline, but also to come up with new ideas. In that way, we're not only crowdsourcing ideas, but also crowdsourcing the potential market viability. So for example, if we approach a cafe in New York, for example, we will say, okay, we've got an hour every week. We get a facility that brings people in and say, every week at three o'clock, we're going to have something about 100 ideas cafe. This is what they have in their pipeline. They have a product on, for example, these are real life examples. We have a product on breathable sand technology, basically where you can grow mangoes in the desert. We have one also looking at using fiat and cryptocurrency to look at encouraging farmers to grow trees. So for example, a lot of farmers across developing countries are pressurized into either selling their plots or cutting down their trees to sell for land. But if we can find a way where we can say, no, don't cut down the trees, we're going to fund you to actually grow more trees. And then we'll give you a little bit of funding if you want to, for example, educate your children or invest in additional technology. So those are two key products that are already on there. So we approach these cafes, which we represent across the world. We have two, two or three, I think three already on our pipeline. And then they ideate over that for 20 minutes. And the other 20 minutes, they share ideas from that cafe or that city. Is that a virtual expression or is that physical? Like what, what exactly is happening in those cafes? We would actually like to have it physical. We're kind of flexible in terms of having it virtual. It might be some of the places we might start up virtually, but we want to have it actually physical because sometimes, you know, when you talk about humans, that, you know, when you interact as a human with other humans, the energy is a lot more different. I just read a body of research. It was really driven, motivated by this whole question of remote working and is it, a, you know, is it equally viable to in-person, uh, you know, whatever. And the research very clearly shows that in-person is just fundamentally more effective in terms of creative collaboration, you know, just straight up. So, yeah. So tell me how there's a cafe in New York. How does 100 Ideas manifest physically within that environment? Yeah, so we're going to facilitate this through our network. And then so they can start off the pilot studies for that. Then we can actually show people that we want to recruit onto the network. So basically we have, we already have a facilitator. I think she's based in Pittsburgh. We have one also identified in Morocco at a university in Morocco. And we also have 
one identified in Lagos, in Nigeria. So we already have guidelines for how the facilitators will actually engage people and also how they will run those events for one hour. Because one hour, I think, is, is enough because people get busy in their lives. Right. So basically, they come into the cafe and it's also good advertising for the cafe, especially if they say, okay, this cafe is committed to giving a space to generate ideas to impact the world or impact the next one. Yeah, that's great. Exactly. So they basically spend the first 20 minutes looking at the ideas in the pipeline. And we want to give them the flexibility to choose. They want to talk about the tree project, for example. They want to talk about the breathable sand project or another project that's in our pipeline is looking at using sustainable materials for construction that's already in our pipeline as well. And they can ideate over that and give some kind of score. So from that perspective, it's not just myself and my advisors, I don't really like that concept. We're actually making it more like a crowdsourcing platform from different parts of the world. So making it more egalitarian. So someone in a cafe in Pittsburgh can say, oh, I contributed towards making that idea more effective to have a global impact on the world. So that's the kind of, you know, make it more of an egalitarian platform, a platform for everybody, so to speak. So that's the basis behind that. So, you know, the fundamental, well, I think, the majority of people that listen to Insert Human do so because they care about the future and they're maybe concerned a bit about the present and they understand that the way to secure a better future for all living things, not just humans, is to be more human first and be more collaborative, you know, be more connected. And, you know, the 100, to me, the 100 Ideas Cafe is a perfect example of what we need to do. I guess the final question for you, Lamine, is how can the listeners support your effort, get involved, you know, what can they do very specifically to help you achieve a goal that we should all care about, which is impacting a billion people's lives? Fine. So, I mean, I can think of it for three things initially. So, of course, if they have any great ideas or they know anybody that's working on a particular startup that falls ideally within the health, environment, and renewables aspect, please spread the word or submit your idea. That's the first thing. The second thing as well, I think, is that if they really want to be a bit more actively involved, then and perhaps as they, they have a fa- favorite cafe or even a workspace in their city that they say, well, yeah, I would like to facilitate a session where they're more actively involved in terms of facilitating people that attend that cafe or their friends just to gather in a space on a weekly basis. That would be fantastic. And do you, will you provide guidelines or- Yes, we have five already. Okay. Yeah, we have got yeah. So they're not they're not being tasked to like figuring it out from scratch. You, you have a, no, no. a method, <laughs> if you will. Okay. Okay. Yes, definitely. And I think the third one will definitely be the concept of if they have any ideas to make the platform even better. I always say that, you know, I, I'm just launching the platform, but I'm not I'm not, I'm not an expert in this area. So if anyone has any ideas, they can on, on the website at the moment, there's only one email and that's actually, that's my email. That probably makes my email, uh, my email box will be full. But I think anyone that has any ideas along those lines. What we're also thinking about doing is looking at technology-based challenges. For example, if we say, is there a way that AI can help with preventing the devastation of floods? For example, can we use AI machine learning to predict weather patterns that might affect a particular area so that they can minimize the damage from the floods that might come in two weeks' time. So we're going to look at technology-based solutions. So we have maybe a weekly challenge say, okay, what can AI do for A, B, C, D, and D? What Can we have a green energy week where we can think about how we can use green energy to help with minimizing pollution, for example? So those are some things that are going to come also to our platform. And we also want to really engage the youth 
In fact, the other things I'm really focusing on, I would like to have, for example, a conference maybe in the next couple of years where we will look at the youth and I want to hear back from them in terms of how do they want to see the world in the next 10 to 15 years? What do they want to have? And in fact, my idea is that I don't want anybody above 35 years old to actually speak at that conference and actually vision 2035, 2035 years old only. Anyone above 35 is more than willing to attend. In fact, I encourage them to attend to hear what the youth want to see in the world in the future. So that's one of the things I'm also working on in parallel. So if anybody is thinking along those lines, we can work together to host an event like that. Definitely willing to do that as well. That's great. Good for you. So the, the URL for 100 Ideas Cafe is? It's www.100ideascafe.com. The number is spelled out. Numericals, 100ideascafe with one F. Com. Excellent. So before I let you go, tell me a little bit about your coffee fixation. Because I love okay. coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so all goes back to about summer of 2004. And my family and I went to Rome. Uh, my cousin's actually married to an Italian. And he said, oh, do you like coffee? And I was like, yeah, I like coffee. And he gave me a mocha pot. So prior to that, I only really drank coffee through a French press. And he gave me a mocha pot. And when I tasted the coffee from a mocha pot, I thought, oh, wow. This Wait, is... what did, what's it called? A, 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 a what? A mocha a pot. A typical Italian mocha pot. Actually, I have one here. Hold on a second. <laughs> it looks like this. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, so Lamine is showing me one of those um, solid steel or whatever it's made out of. It looks like a, a little like an hourglass. It's actually made of aluminum. So aluminum is a very good conductor. So it heats up very fast. For me, actually, when I was much younger, like when I was living in Nigeria, I always loved food. So, you know, I was baking cakes like seven or eight years old. So anything related to kind of taste always fascinated me. So when I got back to Vienna, I was very curious. I started learn, learn, reading a lot about coffee and people started talking about the concept of a god shot in a crema. So I started buying all these different espresso machines, spent lots of money. Then finally, I think by, by um, 2009, I bought a really expensive espresso machine well back then it was really expensive it was like 600 700 euros that's expensive yeah my current espresso machine costs about three times that but it's a what we call a prosumer machine so it's almost like a uh, commercial machine commercial grade yeah, yeah yeah you can control the temperature for different types of espresso rows you can control it's a heat exchanger it's got a dual boiler but I mean going back to that so in 2009 actually I finished my first part of working at the UN and I actually moved to Cape Town with my family to open up a coffee shop. So I did that for about three. About, so I did that for about three years. I called it showing your love. So I went open up a cafe in um, in Cape Town. And our unique selling point, thanks to my wife, was the only cafe in the world owned and run by an old Peace Prize laureate. So I got a lot of media, media attention. <laughs> I got a lot of media oh my attention. God. In Cape Town. Were there items on the menu like the Nobel Peace Prize bagel or? <laughs> no, 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 we did It was called Escape Cafe because I always believe coffee is the drink of the escapist where basically you can drink a cup of coffee. Maybe the coffee comes from Brazil, but you can sit in a cafe in New York and the, the person who was serving you is from Africa. So it was like the drink of the escapist, you know, a coffee that comes from a different part of the world and it lets you gather your thoughts and you can just sit down by yourself. So that's my kind of my coffee fascination. I've just launched recently in Dubai a coffee brand called Escape Cafe again. And on Instagram, my Instagram name is actually from Coffee with Love. So I had to kind of it. Oh, funny. So you have like cafes in your bloodstream or something, you know, like, you know, whether the manifestation of is 
is is selling coffee or solving all the problems of the world. It's just it's an interesting common you know thread between the two things, right? Yeah, exactly. In fact, you know, I always tell people that you know, people say, "What are you, what are, where are you in your life now?" I say, "I'm actually living my childhood." So when I was younger, I loved art and I loved food. I love actually helping people. And I think that where I am at the moment is basically merging your loves into one. So 100 Ideas Cafe is like, yeah, I would love to have an incubator space where people can come, have fantastic coffee, and share ideas to impact the world. So in fact, my plan is to have a physical space of 100 Ideas Cafe in the next year or two. Yeah. Where people can actually, so it actually be a physical space. And then, of course, I'd love to have that concept across different cities, across the world. Yeah. So basically my love for coffee and helping people and changing the world. I was at this event last night and, and got into a conversation with somebody about um, that. I think we all need to be more, call it assertive about de-anonymizing our life. That technology has done many wonderful things, but I think one of the not so wonderful things it is, it has created a lot of anonymity. You know, you yeah. can now live and never leave your house. You know, you can now shop and never meet a shopkeeper. You can live in a neighborhood and never meet a neighbor. Yes. It can all be delivered to you. You don't have to know the other person's name. And I think ultimately that's a problem that when you take the village out of the village, that what's left anonymity and anonymity isn't going to get us to where we, we need to get to, which is a, a, a healthier, safer, more united world. My point in all that is the idea of a cafe as a convening uh, mechanism yeah. and a and a de-anonymizer, where yeah. you know not only are you there escaping, but you are there connecting. And yes. you know one of the funny things that I I do now in my in my daily life, and I did it a lot last night at this event that Kate and I went to, is I introduce myself to strangers. And I got to tell you, in America, when you do that two things happen. The first thing is they look at you like you're a freak. (laughs) (laughs) And then the second thing that happens 50% of the time is they actually are grateful. And and my point is imagine if there was an hundred ideas cafe around the world, all over the place where people went in with the license to say hello, Yeah, you know, went in with the license or the motivation to say, hi, my name's Lamine or hi, my name's Chris. And imagine what might come out of that. Maybe not ideas, doesn't have to be ideas, but what comes out of it is connection. What comes out of it is a friendship, whatever. A level of human intimacy that I think a lot of that has been lost. And I think we have to get it back. So I'm all for everything that you're doing, you know, saving the world and impacting a billion lives and creating a convening space for people to just connect. I mean, it's really, really important work. So... So just one point, I'm going to introduce you to uh, a contact remember, um, that's working on this concept of public intelligence. Oh, you're right, right, right. Yeah, I, and I think it's very relevant for your podcast, Insert Human. I did a short article on LinkedIn where I said artificial intelligence should be renamed assisted intelligence because nobody likes anything that's artificial. And I think AI should be something that's assisting us with some of the tasks that we might find. Yeah, it's not replacing, it's assisting, right? I love that idea. Yeah, and also this guy that I introduced you to. So I wanted to be part of my platform for one main reason, because sometimes there might be a technology that might look fantastic, but I don't want it to be in a way that actually causes more human harm. And what he's developed the tool that actually looks at assessing a particular technology, say, What's the human element of this technology? Is it going to replace or is it going to enhance our lives? 
Right. I think that's an important aspect that I also want to capture in the platform. So make sure that, yeah, I don't mind social impact or if we'd have a goal of even creating the first social impact unicorn, for example, but as long as it's facilitating and making people's lives better and not replacing them with something that they can't understand. Yeah, Absolutely. So. You know, and, I, and by the way, I, I think the good news is that because of the potential consequences of artificial intelligence, also known as yeah. assisted intelligence, you know, there is a growing movement around how do we get ahead of it? How do we manage the ethical consequences of it? How do we not simply unleash it and then deal with the consequences? My point of view is we need to be asking all the same questions vis-a-vis all technologies. It's not just an AI issue. Anything we unleash into the world that has the potential to impact lots of lives, I think we have to look through an ethical and moral and most specifically behavioral lens. You know, the crazy thing is we haven't developed that, call it systems thinking around technology deployment. We just yeah. let the sucker go. And then after the fact, back to remediation versus prevention, we let it yeah. go and they're like, oh God, oh God, that, oh, oh no. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I think I, I called that when I think the first time we had our chat, we talked a lot about that, didn't we? About like things like social media and what it's done to some aspects of the world. And I think looking at the original terminology, social media as a social platform to connect, not to compete or not to put people down or not to elevate or enhance your ego and things like that. Oh, there's a great quote from horrifying and but great quote from Sean Parker, who was one of the founders of Facebook, who said, we knew we had a billion dollar business when we realized the whole platform was all about validation. (laughs) 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 And And let her rip. You're like, great. Anyway, I need to let you get back to your life. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for the important work that you are doing. And I encourage everybody that's listening to check out 100ideascafe.com and, and sign up, subscribe. I, I just subscribe to the newsletter. Um, I mean, do what you can to participate in Lamine's effort to make the world a better place. And Lamine, thank you so much. And I'm grateful for our growing friendship. And I know we'll be chatting very, very soon. Definitely, Chris. And hopefully maybe you're in this part of the world again, we'll physically meet. Yes, and- that would be amazing. Ideally, ideally at a cafe over, or maybe your home, because I'd like to check out the, this, this espresso. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're definitely more than welcome. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening today. Wherever you are as a leader on your transformation journey, you'll find more helpful resources at chriscolbert.com. From more podcast episodes and my film talks from around the globe to my blog and books. And if you're a CEO or leader interested in getting my advice, you can reach me there too. Just head over to chriscolbert.com. Thanks for listening.